know we've got a lot of tennis to talk about. Can I can I just start with something non tennisy because I just want to get it out of the way. Sure. And and I want to deal with it. Um, it's the bacon because this week is preschool bake sale week. Um, I tried the Jaffa cakes, and the the bases were awful. <laughs> I think. <laughs> They, I think they, well, they, some were a little bit small. Some look like, some were just a little bit small, like a 10p piece, which is a bit small, right, for a Jaffa cake. Right. And I think they were a little bit burnt on the bottom. So I don't know what I did. Do you have a special tin to bake them in? No, just a cupcake tin. Just a cupcake but tray. Mine's fine. And you don't, you just put them in the tray? Yes. But you have to chop them in half afterwards, like lengthways into discs. But the bottom was, was burnt. Well, I mean, I, I can't, I can't help you with that. <laughs> you just burnt it. <laughs> <Would you? laughs> I don't know what else you want me to say. I followed everything, and I had these little sort of semi-burnt discs, which I don't think I should inflict. So I didn't even go any further. Okay, I was a little bit, dis- I was a little bit disheartened. It seems like you're looking for tweaks to the recipe, and I don't think it was the recipe's fault as to why you ended up with burnt <laughs> discs. I just, maybe I've just got a really good oven. <laughs> it's just too good. Uh, oven is just too good. Um, I did everything. So I, I can't risk that again, more burnt discs. So I'm just going to do cupcakes, just plain old cupcakes, something on top, give them to the preschool, job done. That's fine. I think the Jaffa Cakes thing... Was uh, it was just a, I was just a little bit sad. It was a little bit of a failure. But Mariana, a loyal listener to the podcast, has and people can see the picture if they go to our Twitter account. Uh, made some jaffa cakes, which looked. Uh, did you see the picture? I thought they looked pretty good. They were great and a great display. Segments of orange as well in between the jaffa cakes, just to give you that extra oh, yes. bit of zest and aroma. <laughs> Excellent execution, I must say thought it was great but you're gonna go with cupcakes what so just vanilla cupcake um yes i'm i'm thinking do you know what it's you can't go wrong i think even though i've got a really good oven <laughs> i think it's i don't think it's gonna burn them i could just buy some that's the ridiculous thing about this whole thing that i could just go to a shop buy some and it's the thought that counts and take them but i feel i'm still at that kind of new to all this and feel i should make them yeah it's weak don't buy them no, that's definitely too weak. But I feel like if you... So the base of the Jaffa cake is just a cake. It's just cupcake. But normally when you make a cake, you put it in a little case, right? Right, yeah. And you don't with the Jaffa cakes. But you have to grease the tin. No, I did. They, no, my discs flew out. There was no problem with them sticking. But they were just burnt on the bottom. And they'd only been in 10 minutes. Oh, uh, yeah, they don't need 10 minutes. Less than that, please. Six or seven? But that's what it said in the recipe that you sent me. We have to check it. That's what happens in baking. You have to check it. Yeah, six or seven minutes and you should be fine. Ten minutes is too long. Yeah, they'll burn. Oh, maybe it was an issue with the recipe. You, you could have told me that. <laughs> Sorry. Try again. Oh, okay. Um, so, so, so next, you know what? But before next, the next podcast, the next, I will, I'll try again. But I think for this week... We're just going to cupcake it and, and send them in. Okay. It's, a, it's all getting a little stressful. Now, how are you feeling? Because you're not, you're not very well. You, don't, you, you sound fabulous, but you're not very well, are you? Oh, I don't sound fabulous. And uh, I'm well aware <laughs> of that. <laughs> my, my voice has definitely dropped <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit sick. Um, that's for sure. I've got a really sore throat. 
really really sore throat you know and it feels like it's been through a cheese grater or something and my voice is a bit low and I feel a bit chesty I don't actually feel horrendous I don't feel like I'm horrendously sick you just sound horrendous yeah which is a slight <laughs> issue for uh, for commentating I'm sure listeners of the podcast won't mind but definitely yeah, I'm, I'm commentating this week I'm working I, I hope that this is as bad as it gets that's my main thing if it gets any worse then we're in a slight bit of trouble but at the moment it's manageable but the chance are you've got a few days left it's going to get worse before it gets better because you're not resting possibly oh, I hadn't thought of that I was hoping that this was day the, the worst day. No, I well, chamomile tea and honey and lemon. Okay. So chamomile tea is the antiseptic part, right. which is crucial. Honey is the soothing part and not sure what lemon does, but just throw some of that in too. Am I not just supposed to eat ice cream? That's what I did when I was a kid, right? Sore throat, have some ice cream? Um... <laughs> Is that not a thing? It soothes it. <laughs> but you probably weren't going on to commentate after you'd had your ice cream as a four-year-old. Am no. I right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. And I can't just live off ice cream for the week. <laughs> it's a bit silly. I, I remember when um, I think I lost my voice, which again isn't ideal for what we do. And I thought, oh, I've got to get, I had to get it back. I said, I've got to get back by tomorrow. I thought, what am I going to do? Because it's not actually possible not, people say don't talk, but it's very difficult, isn't it? not to talk if someone said just don't talk for 24 hours I mean it's it's almost impossible yeah yeah I mean that's it's very very difficult I've never done it ever I think I did I did a sponsored silence do you remember these <laughs> when uh, <laughs> when I was I did a sponsored silence at school when I was about 12 did they just tell you that that's what it was? Or did they just say <laughs> Gigi enough now we're doing a sponsored <laughs> silence starting now to the end of the day go it wasn't just me <laughs> it wasn't I wasn't doing it on my own are you sure and and but the worst thing was it was a, um I was at boarding school so you're around people all the time and you're what 12 years old and suddenly no one is talking it was slightly eerie and a little bit weird well what were you doing we were just looking at each other well not talking <laughs> just just staring <laughs> was was the key but could you do other stuff what would you yeah we just couldn't talk what right. could we do other stuff? We didn't have to sit there. It wasn't a sponsored, do not move, do nothing, sit still and don't talk. It was right, just okay. sponsored silence. And how long did you last? Oh, 24 hours. The clue was in the title though. It was a, it was a 24 hour sponsored Yeah, but silence. how long did you last? 24 hours exactly. Right, right. <laughs> okay. And we also did um, a 24 hour famine. That sounds a, that sounds a bit more uh, serious. It was, it was, was it? It was... It was as hard. Well, you could have teas and liquid and things, but th that that was quite tricky as well. What at school? What sort of school did you go to? Twenty four hours without <laughs> food as a twelve year old. But it was, but it was for charity. So it was a, it was a sponsored. We didn't just decide we're not going to eat or talk. But for you can't we just do it not at the same feed time. children for twenty four hours and think that is okay. Would you do that to your kids? But it wasn't a punishment. It was for charity. So you've raised lots of money or you've tried to raise lots of money and then, then you complete it. You could have sort of energy tablets and drinks. And That's things. awful. <laughs> They're even worse. You were surviving off like caffeine tablets and energy drinks. <laughs> oh my God. Can we, can we get onto some tennis? Some tennis, because yes. big news, right? I think yes. pretty pretty big news on the the uh, reigning, well, 
well, reigning Australian Open champion, world number one, Naomi Osaka and her coach have split. What do you think? What do you make of it? Massive shock. It, um, I think the same as everybody. I don't think there's, it. there doesn't seem to be someone who isn't shocked. And then you start, people start sifting through things. So, you know, word comes through that they actually started, I think maybe Sesha Bain maybe stopped following her on social media a few weeks ago. And then you look at her victory post on Instagram after she won the title and there's there's thanks to a lot of people. And there's that line in saying, thank you to Sasha for hitting with me for two weeks. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and you start to look at little things. But I mean, who saw that? They've been on this remarkable run. She's had this incredible rise. And then suddenly it's quite a... Um, emotionless, shall we say, tweet that came out yeah. just to say, thank you very much and this is it and off we go. And he replied saying, you know, thank you for having me for the ride and I wish you all the luck. And it's, but then what I found quite interesting was a tweet that you sent out. Um, not that you're splitting up, not that you're <laughs> splitting up with anybody. But no, I thought it, it was quite interesting because you, you said that coaches are at their most vulnerable when, Firstly, and, and obviously, if you're having an absolute shocker. Yeah. <laughs> that goes for any coach in any sport. But I thought the other one was quite interesting um, because you said, or it's when you're at the peak of your success. And I saw a tweet from Mike Dixon from the Daily Mail and he was trying to relate it to another sport. So maybe people who don't like tennis are thinking, how big is this? Is this big? And he said, it's a little bit like Leicester City, who came from nowhere to win the Premier League really made this sort of crash on the main stage. They What were they, 5,000 to 1 at the beginning of the season to yeah. win it? If they had sacked Claudio Ranieri, the man, it, it eventually did part ways, but if they'd sacked him after they'd won the title. Yeah, like the week after. And when he put it sort of like that, it's, it is it is as surprising as, as what has now happened with these two. Yeah, I mean, definitely a surprise. Um, I think that's for sure. I remember we looked at that Instagram post that she put out. It was the day after she had won and she kind of was saying, oh, you know, I didn't really do my thank you speech as I wanted to and I just want to take a bit more time to write a considered post thanking everybody who's been involved. And it was a really considered post and it was really lovely to a lot of people that have worked behind the scenes with her. But then, as you say, the line about Sasha Bayin was was really, really short um, and, and kind of cold and demoting him to being a hitter, not a coach, saying cheers for hitting for a couple of weeks. But I mean, as if anyone could do that, right? And we definitely pulled up on that at the time. I remember us sitting around thinking like, that's a bit strange, isn't it? A bit harsh on Sasha. But I don't know, maybe, whatever. Maybe she didn't mean it. Who, who knows, right? Or does that mean that maybe they separated before the tournament started? I think I think that probably does mean that. And, and for, for whatever reason, maybe it was amicable and he said... Do you know what? I'll help you out through Oz because it was obviously it's a big deal. It's a Grand Slam. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, mean, look, it's all just guessing work at this point, isn't it? Because the normal time to stop with somebody is in the off season. We get the splits around November. So to come after the Australian Open is is a bit bizarre. Uh, But it does seem like um, they'd maybe come to an arrangement before. Um, And maybe, maybe she just well, maybe she just didn't want to deal with it. You know, Australia's the... Because everyone's going to talk about it. If, if she'd come into it saying we've parted ways, it would have just only and all been about that. I mean, that, that would have been the focus of everything and it would have been a major distraction from her tennis. So if they did decide to separate before, I think you've got to say credit to both parties for, for getting on with it. 
yeah. and getting through it. And ultimately, Naomi Osaka winning the Australian Open. I mean, fair play because as amicable as a split is, it's never, uh, it's rarely 50 50. Yeah. Whether we're talking a relationship, um, a romantic relationship, a work relationship, whatever kind of relationship, when they say, oh, it was an amicable separation, it's very rare. It's 50 50, and both parties like, brilliant, fabulous, this is the best. Yeah, that, that is so rare. Normally there's one side, even if it's just a little bit to one side, it's, there's normally a little bit more on one side if, if someone's sort of said, right, this is how I feel. And if so, if a decision had been made for whoever it was that maybe wasn't as happy just to get on with things is, is massive credit really for them to and then have that success. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just the epitome of being professional, isn't it? If you you because I mean there'll still be some emotion attached to it as you say I mean there's no way that either one is probably thrilled with the fact that they're separating um, maybe they both believe that it's the right thing to do but as I say I can't imagine that they're both really excited about it they've had such an amazing journey um, but what I was talking about with that tweet pretty self-explanatory I think I said if your results are consistently the worst they've been for a while and when I say a while we're talking like I don't know a few years. Of course, you're you're pretty vulnerable as a coach. Um, things aren't going very well, um, so that's 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 pretty obvious. Um, but when you're, it, it's about when you achieve the goal. Once you achieve the goal, you then have to kind of start again and come up with a new goal and a new path and a new story, and it, it kind of provides an obvious end point. Um, so we think back to say Kerber and Fassett. She wanted to get back to the point where she was winning Grand Slams. She got back and won Wimbledon. That's what she did. And then they split. And it's not to say that that it's always going to happen like that at all. Of course not. And they didn't, you know, Osaka and Bayin didn't split after US Open, for example. But it's just that it presents um, a very different dynamic because you've completed something. You're not on the journey anymore. You know, like with Osaka, what journey is she on? She's trying to get used to the fact that she's the best player in the world right now. Their whole journey has been trying to make her one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world, and trying to get her to be the best player she can be. Really, she's the best player in the world. She's number one. She's won two back-to-back slams. But surely that journey is just beginning. Yes, she's won back-to-back slams. Yes, she's world number one. But when we start calling players great surely she has to sustain that level surely she's got to be at number one for all. yes she's won back-to-back slams, which is absolutely incredible I understand in the case of Novak Djokovic and Marion Vida when they split and I know there seem to be other things involved there but and you talk about goals and reaching things Novak Djokovic had achieved the lifetime ambition he had the career grand slam everything had gone into winning the French he won the French and it was almost like the lights dimmed and he was like well what is my goal because that has always been my goal so you can sort of understand that a little bit more and as you mentioned the Kerber example but I just don't get with Naomi Osaka because it's just surely it's just the beginning surely her aim wasn't to win one or two grand slams surely yes you could say well there's nowhere higher she can go and she's already won two grand slams but there is so much more she can achieve she is only 21 years old so so surely they're on the big their journey is or should have been or her journey still is really just beginning she's number one but now she has to deal with being number one and everyone shooting at her at number one and trying to beat her and it's her coming through that and then saying right I've I've sustained this time I don't it, it just feels weird because it but the other thing I was thinking is that for Naomi Osaka 
this last few months has been life-changing, maybe more than it would have been for anybody else, because she is a player who represents a nation, a continent, who really have huge, huge superstars and have wanted one for so long in tennis. And we've talked about the pressure on Kena Shikuri. Naomi Osaka has done it. She's, she's crossed the Grand Slam finish line twice, back to back, and she's world number one. She, her life has changed financially everything completely overnight and just be really interesting and Sasha Bayan spoke about Nemesaka being a very lovely sweet humble nice girl and I'm sure she is but it'd be really interesting to see if what the difference has been since everything that's happened with her with winning the titles and being number one I think I mean going back to their journey just beginning or her journey just beginning I mean tennis players or athletes operate on goals and you get to one goal and then you get to the next and the next and the next. No one starts out being a professional tennis player just saying, I want to be number one in the world and just focusing on that. You have to get to the one hurdle and the next one. And she's, of course, got to a really big hurdle. This is it's not even a hurdle. It's, it's a, a phenomenal achievement. It's more than the pinnacle of some fantastic careers that we've seen. It, it's amazing to see what she's achieved. It's just that when you get to those points... Uh, the opportunity for the end just kind of presents itself and it is there. Um, it doesn't mean it's always taken. It's not always taken. But we see so many coaches go when players get to number one in the world or when they win slams. And we look at Halep and Cahill, Kerber and Fassett. Um, I know from a British perspective, Conta with Esteban Caril, you know, she was doing incredibly well in the top 10. There are so many players that just have an unbelievable year. Sloane Stephens and Kamal Murray. And these are all really recent. They all have an unbelievable year and they split because the opportunity presents itself. It's just kind of there and you have to sit down, reset. Right, let's address the goals. Right, now where are we going? Now what are we doing? We, need, we needed you to get in shape, Naomi. You are now in shape. We needed you to improve this. You have done that. We wanted you to do this. You've done that. And you've also won two grand slams. Right, now what are we doing? So you almost start again. And that's where problems can happen because once you're on the journey to a certain goal... As long as things are moving along nicely, everything's great because you still have some distance to go. And actually, as a coach, you're much more secure if, you're, if your players' results are quite good in comparison to what you're wanting <laughs> because there's still room to improve. And you, you, you want to be in a position where you can say to your player, look, we're on the right track. We're getting there. We've just got a bit more of this to do. But when it happens like that and it happens so quickly and it happens in a burst... Everybody needs to stop and take a breath and try and reset. I mean, at the end of last year, everybody in Team Osaka would have to just stop and figure out what on earth is going on. Where are we going now? And that's where disagreements can come from because you have to you have to all get around the table and get back on the same page, on a new page, and you get disagreements. And that is why I think we see so many of them. And look, a lot of people talk about the fact, uh, we never know the ins and outs at all, um, but between lots of coaches, we have no idea what's happened with Osaka and Bayern. We don't know what's happened with any of these splits because it's all just rumours or whatever. But contracts need to be negotiated. That's one thing. So there could be a financial element or a commitment element. We get a lot of coaches saying they don't want to spend as many weeks on the road. And then the player says, well, actually, I need you on the road this amount. So you've got that all comes under the contract and the kind of practicalities side of things, which can, is a big deal because we're talking about the coach's life here. What are they expected to do? How much are they expected to earn? That is a huge deal about their value and their worth. That's one thing. Then you have the other side of things, which is we all need to sit around and, as I was saying, discuss the goals. 
we've got to work it all out. We've got to get on the same page. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard of players, they've worked with coaches for a couple of years and then said, um, actually, I, we're not going in the same direction anymore. And it's been really successful up until that point. And, and then you can get the, the push and pull. So there are so many different things that happen at, at different stages. And in terms of, as I was saying, you have those goals in front of you, um, try and get to that hurdle, then the next, then the next. I mean, Osaka just, just ran straight through them all, didn't she? she <laughs> you know, in terms of running around the athletics track, she just ran straight through, straight across the middle. She just went through the javelin throwers and whatever. She was just like, I'm getting to the finish line. I don't care. And she's there. And everybody needs to kind of recalibrate. And it's a really tricky situation to do. Um, and I think that's why we see a lot of splits. But um, it is, I mean, yes, I can see why people get really surprised by it. I was surprised by it. But I can I can understand it. I can understand why it's, it, 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 it happens. Um, it's a shame because I would love to see Stevens continue working with Kamal Murray in great spirits because I love their relationship. I love how they work and what they've done and the same for Osaka and Bayin. But hey, look, good news. He can work with someone else now. So how was your Fed Cup weekend? Fed Cup? Oh my God, of course. Um, <laughs> already feels, it already feels like so long ago, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, I was, of course, just enthralled by the GB home match in Bath, the heroic efforts of Team GB. I was, I was just right there with them. So many of my friends went down to support, um, particularly Captain Anne, Kjothavong, because her brother and sister are a member of our club and Anne used to be a member as well so we're kind of a bit of a team um, and also Harriet Dart she's a member of our club Cumberland Club so uh, she was on the team as well so loads of people went down I wasn't able to get down unfortunately but they did really well they won their group so they get to, well they won their group and then they won the playoff to get to the playoff they're now in the playoff and uh, we're playing at home we just it was just announced we are playing at home against Kazakhstan good draw as draws go it's a good draw they're all tough look to get out of the it's called Euro Africa zone one it's hard there are some quality quality players there I mean Donna Vekic was playing but uh yeah we're out into the playoffs and I hope we do well it's gonna be at the copper box in London the Olympic um what was it used for in the Olympics do you remember was that the what was that copper box I can't remember there'll be people screaming at this that we should know what it was used for i think it was um, used for a lot of stuff gymnastics possibly <laughs> i'm just going to agree with you whatever you say I'm oh, just it was a long time anything. ago wasn't it but that is great um so i'm definitely going to try and get to that i think it's like easter weekend or something so i'm definitely going to try to get that to that in april yeah it's definitely in it and in terms of rankings at the moment there's not too much between Jana conta and yulia putinseva yeah. and serena dias and katie bolter so in terms of of rankings, it, it's quite close. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in a couple of months or so, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it's it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really excited about that. I mean, Katie Bolter was phenomenal. I actually didn't think that Bolter or Conta played particularly well. I don't feel like they played their best tennis, but my word, their fight and heart, everything that Fed Cup is about, because Fed Cup is tough. It's tense. 
it's nerve wracking. It's all different and bizarre. Like we were talking about last time, you've got people on your bench. They're playing at home in Bath the first time. And I thought they just dealt with it brilliantly. Absolutely brilliantly. The team spirit seemed amazing. And what's exciting is that, yeah, I mean, I don't think Bolter played her best tennis, but I mean, it's her first time playing Fed Cup representing her country. So I very much think she's going to get better. And I'm really excited for the home tie. It's tough. I don't know if we're favourites or not, or it's kind of close. Maybe being at home tips it in our favour. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh, I'll be supporting them all the way. I really hope we can uh, we can just get out, just get out, <laughs> get out of the Euro Africa Zone One because it's such a brutal group. It's so difficult. Yeah, I missed I missed a lot of it because I was working on the World Group first round contest between Czech Republic and Romania which got spicy. Well, before a ball had been hit, you've got Carolina Pliskova against good friend Simona Halep. You've got the Czechs who hadn't lost on a hard court since 2009, looking for their 11th consecutive semi-final against Romania, who that was their best. They'd never got past the first round, which is effectively the quarterfinals because it was replaced in the in the semi-finals. So they'd, they'd, never, they'd never got past that before and they were on the road for a first time in a while and and Simona Halep had come out before the tie and she said right this is the goal for this year I've ticked the Grand Slam box across that line I want to bring the Fed Cup to Romania and you kind of thought when you're making statements like this it just adds that little that little bit extra and and it came down to the the decisive live fifth rubber the doubles and Wow. I mean, it, it was Monica Nicolescu was was like a jack in a box. She was everywhere. I think it was like her 36th or 37th Fed Cup tie. She uh, her screaming and yelling. I was her favorite film is Gladiator and she was channeling it throughout this doubles match. She was yelping. You would have thought it was a home tie in Romania rather than it being in the Czech Republic. It was, and Simona Halep, her win over Carolyn Pliskova, she said that was like a Grand Slam final. It was, it, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing to work. It was a bit surreal because at the same time, the twins both got uh, one of the viruses that are going around. So one got it on the Wednesday night, one picked it up on the Friday I was doing obviously the Saturday and Sunday and it involved a trip to A&E and six hours waiting at A&E. Lovely. So we finally got seen by the, the consultant paediatrician who then started asking me for childcare advice or something. It was, it was quite surreal. I was like, <laughs> it's midnight. I said, if you're saying I can take him home, that's amazing. And she was like, but I was just wondering, uh, how much do you let them watch an iPad? I'm thinking really? Are we doing this now? Please, can I go home? And she's saying, I was just wondering, what food would you recommend for a 10-month-old? I'm thinking, oh. Well, that's great. She so, must be really impressed with your parenting skills if she's asking your advice. Well, it was, it, it was, it was just a little bit surreal. So we had that going on. And then on the the Friday, the other little one got it. So it was, it was, it was all round a little bit mental and a little bit sleep deprived, which maybe even heightened the excitement of the Fed Cup because everything was just a little bit surreal when I got there. But it was, it was like that competition's amazing. The fans, the players, the matches was, no, it was incredible. And, and congratulations to Romania. I mean, it was, look, to beat the Czech Republic, I mean, they are, they have been the best women's team in team tennis for years they are Absolutely. fed cup 
that is it. <laughs> it they is are them. Czech Republic, Fedco. They are the Fedco. They didn't have Petra Kvitova, who she'd made the decision because she had a, a pretty heavy schedule and titles to defend before and after it coming off the final in Australia. Um, but, you know, they had Karolina Pliskova and Katerina Siniakova and they had the, the top two players in the world in doubles. You know, there, there was strength and, oh, yeah, no, it was, it was amazing. I absolutely... Absolutely. I say it was all a bit surreal because I was a little bit sleep deprived. Good news is the twins have come through it. And okay, good. And they're fine and they're back to charging around. But it was um, it was a very good but slightly surreal weekend. Oh, I have a question for you. Oh, by okay. The way, from Priscilla. Right. Who is curious to know if tennis players need special visas to compete in certain countries. Oh, um, uh, yes, I guess so is the answer. A lot of people... A lot of players who travel have to get visas anyway. I've always been quite fortunate because I'm British um, and we actually don't have to get a huge amount of visas for, well, as in for countries. Um, I know that I remember talking to a friend of mine, Oksana Klashnikova. She's Georgian. And she was saying that basically her entire schedule was just completely prescribed by where she could get visas to um and where she could get them in time because you know getting visas you have to like send your passport in sometimes you can't just have it on you and when you're away and you might want to change your schedules it can be really difficult so i was very lucky being from britain but of course there are still plenty of places you have to go to to get visas there's no such thing as a special one you just go in in on a business visa because you're you're working you're professional even though most of the time you don't earn any money so it's a bit tedious when you kind of feel like, could we not just go in on a tourist visa because we're going to play a bit of tennis, but ultimately I'm going to pick up a cheque for $200 and I'm spending 1000 So do we have to, does it have to be business? I'm not making any money. Um, but no, it all has to, you, you've got to do it all above board. I've known players to get turned around when they've gone in on a tourist visa and um, at customs um, or at border, border security. They've said, hang on a minute. Um, yeah, I know uh, somebody was flown home from, oh, I'm, I'm going to say Japan, flew all the way there from the UK and got flown home. Um, it happens. So yeah, everybody's well aware. You've got to do it properly. Um, but that's basically it. Yeah. Business visas. Um, and it just takes time. Did you ever forget and then suddenly realize you <laughs> needed one? It was too late. I know you forgot to enter tournaments and go to tournaments, <laughs> but did you ever forget a visa? No, I was pretty good actually with visas. Um, and you just, I'd always just get up really early to try and get it done. So for example, going to the Indian embassy in London, you ha- in London, you have to go and bring your passport. You have to queue, you have to do it all and you have to miss training to get it done. But that's just the system. It's the way it goes. You can't go otherwise. Um, so, I mean, some countries have it online, which is much more helpful. But, yeah, it, it can be difficult and there are often a lot of documents. And once you get into the swing of it, you're OK. But definitely when you're starting out, you need somebody to help you with it all because you don't know what's going on. I remember when I went to had to get my US visa renewed and you have to again, you have to go to the embassy, you have to be there. And it was during Wimbledon. And so I got an appointment. I think the first one was it about seven or eight o'clock in the morning. And, and you have to leave, you can't take any, you can't have car keys or anything like that. You have to leave everything somewhere. Um, and I remember waiting there thinking, oh, this is going to take a while. And then I didn't think there was like any special, I thought everyone had to go through the same process. And then alongside me appeared Liam Gallagher of Oasis <laughs> fame. And wow. he was with, I would say, I think it was an entourage. I think it was with his band, I think. I don't really know who's in his band these days. Was there another Gallagher? 
Well, there was only the one Gallagher, but they looked like sort of band members. I don't know what they looked like. They looked like they'd be in a band, some of these other fellas with them that weren't saying much and sort of had their heads bowed down. And then there was two or three women with sort of clipboards that looked like they were the organisers. And he was basically, I thought it was quite interesting, he was ushered, so I'd been there since sort of daylight just waiting for this appointment, and he got brought straight to the front. And so you still have to queue, but he got straight to the front of the queue. So he still had to, when he got inside, have to do all the same things. But he was brought to the very front and he was ushered in and his PA or whoever was organising it was allowed to go in with him. But his band, I'm sure they were band people, they they had to stay outside. They had to queue, 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 queue. Whereas he, he was ushered through and had, I think he went into a special room. I don't know if it's to do with anything else, but he, he sort of went a little bit quicker. So that was quite, you know, sort of first thing in the morning, you're sort of sort of waking up. It's been a very early start. And you kind of look to your right and there's sort of Liam Gallagher just not really saying much and looking a bit quiet and a little bit sleepy, really. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't chuffed about having to do it. Having to, <laughs> but um, having to just go through the same process. But it's, uh, yes, just... Anyone listening, if you need a bit, just don't forget, get everything, all the paperwork done, because otherwise it can be a complete pain. And it's amazing, isn't it? Each time you need a visa for somewhere, so going to Australia, you know it's the same process as the year before, and you'll write the same things, and you haven't done anything wrong, but there's always that worry, isn't there, when you send it off, is it going to be accepted? Am I going to get the email to say you're allowed in? And I'm thinking, but nothing's changed. I haven't done anything in the last year that would stop me from entering the country. But you're always sort of waiting for that email to say you have been granted a temporary visa to be allowed in. Yeah, I know. And it's always like they just ask you weird questions like, have you been arrested for anything? And you say, well, no, but you could just lie. I'm sure people do. <laughs> you could have been arrested and you just say no. Like it's, it's not a tough question and answer system to get around. You just have to tick a box. But they're, they're probably going to check it though, aren't they? I don't, th- I don't think so. I think they just look at it and go, yeah, all right, fine, fair enough. <laughs> they said no, they're coming in. <laughs> so you've got to go and do some tennis shortly. Uh, I do, yes. You're, you're still working, aren't you? And I've got a challenge to set for you. I want you to come up with a challenge that I can sponsor you for. Oh, really? So it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't have to be rowing the channel cuz that that's quite extreme, but it can't be skipping for an hour either cuz I'm not Well, I felt like I rowed the channel a few years ago and I felt like I'd earned myself a good decade of this stuff without having to do any of this stuff, you know? Like we earned a lot of money for that <laughs> for the charity and we worked really hard and I kind of thought I don't need to be guilted into anything just for a little while. <laughs> I felt like I'd paid my dues. <laughs> no, but I didn't know you then, so I don't really know that you did it. So right. I can send you pictures. Um. <laughs> How long Seriously. would my skipathon have to be to impress you? Um, twenty-four hours. Twenty-four hours of skipping. <laughs> you are insane. Well, come on, your hour skipping—you just stop, start. It's no, not like I you don't. were skipping for an hour. I properly skip, like Rocky style. You did not skip. You did not skip for an hour without stopping. You did not. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Okay, well, we're going to go around in circles for a long time. Well, it doesn't matter whatever um, I do, you're not going to believe me, are you? You're not going to come and watch me skip for 24 hours? Oh, I would. Oh, I would. No, you wouldn't. You'd go home and go to bed and then claim I stopped. No, I I would be there on it to see this. I I would be. I don't think I'd need to be there for 24 hours. (laughs) Uh, Well, I could do your 24 hour famine. I mean, did they sell that to parents? Tell you what we're going to (laughs) do. 
it's a famine. It, it was a proper charity and we had the forms and everything. I'm sure someone listening out there, I'm sure we'll get in touch to say they also did it or knows or knew someone who did I don't do it. care if anyone's done it. It is not acceptable. Why is that not acceptable? <laughs> because it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, it's a good way of raising money for charity. Unlike your your hours skipping, right? Go and do some tennis, and 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 think of a challenge that doesn't involve skipping for an hour. Okay, well, go and look after the boys. It seems like they've been through it a little bit, so hopefully they they can do the skipathon with me. There we go. I'm I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and bake them some cupcakes. Oh, good idea. Don't burn them. <laughs> uh, no, that's just jaffa cakes. Bye. Bye. 